invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter. An argument is often made in church history that if we do something too often, it loses its significance. That argument is oftentimes used for communion. Oh, we take communion every Sunday, it's going to lose its significance. And I will then oftentimes ask people, well, how about the offering? Or how about the singing of hymns? Or how about other things that we do on such a regular and consistent basis? Even the Pledge of Allegiance or the, the, prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer, singing hymns that we do on a regular basis, when we stop and recognize what we're doing, when we begin and pay attention, even those common things can really come to life. They can transform us as we allow what's being said and what's being taught and the spiritual ministry of that table to nourish us, can enrich our lives, can strengthen us, can shape us to be more Christ-like. Simon Peter is writing to a church of Jews that had been forced out of Jerusalem. They'd been sent away from what was comfortable, and they'd begun to make a life for themselves within the territory that today we know as Turkey, but they called it Asia Minor. Various churches and various groups that had heard the gospel initially, had received the gospel, but now Paul is telling them he wants them to recall what they've been taught. There's a challenge to to recall the message of redemption, to recall the message of refinement, and to recall the message of reinforcement. Truth can be corrupted unless we hold on to the anchor of God's revelation. Until we keep going back to the post of truth, we can get disoriented. A pastor friend said to me, when I am no longer reading the scriptures on a regular basis, the voice in my head starts to sound more and more like me. That's not where we as believers want to be, is it? Let's please give careful attention to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. 2 Peter chapter 1, this morning we're looking at verses the 1 through 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith equal of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and in of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former ways. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Again, let's look to him briefly in prayer. Lord, this morning as we consider this passage from the Apostle Peter, we ask that you would challenge us to recall what you've done. You would strengthen us in our faith. And you would make us a witness to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Charles Swindoll tells a story of going to a cabin that was owned by his grandfather. It was on the Pacific Ocean, and it was up on a cliff's edge. He said he remembers going out into the backyard of his grandfather's cabin, and there was a a pole that was dug into the ground. He thought that was an odd place to put a pole. But that summer, he and his grandfather measured from the pole to the edge of the cliff that they could look down and see the Pacific Ocean. Odd, unique, but it stuck out in his mind. You see, that off-season, the year away from the cabin, there was a tremendous storm that came from the Pacific Ocean and had done some significant damage to the coastline. So on the next summer, when Charles went back with his grandfather to that same cabin, as he looked out of the back of the cabin, he said, I wouldn't have noticed that there was any difference in the distance to the drop-off to the ocean. But when he and his grandfather went out and measured from that post out to the spot where the drop-off was, he said there was 15 feet that had been lost. You see, unless that post had been there to be a permanent measure, there would have been no recognizing the distance that was lost. Peter is telling us, as he tells that first century church, there is a post upon which you can measure the truth. There is a space in which you can hold your ground, and that space and that post is nothing short of the Word of God. It's trustworthy. Remember what you've been taught. Since God has granted us all things, he said, all things pertaining to life and godliness, we as followers of Christ must recall the message that was so meticulously preserved for us. But what is that message? You catch it in verses 1 and 2. It's the message of redemption. Peter begins by identifying himself. Now, in most other places, we don't hear him called Simeon Peter, but you know the name Simeon, don't you? The man who was the old prophet of God who was standing in the temple when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus the baby. The man who was waiting his entire life to see the redemption of Israel. That was part of Peter's name. But he doesn't stop there. It is Simeon, yes, but it's Peter who is a servant, a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the follower of Christ. This was the the spokesman of the disciples. And he's saying, 
I have something that I've, been, I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ, but so have you. The second part of verse 1, to those who have, have attained a faith, to those who have been given a faith, it's not something that they've received, it's not a reward of actions, it's not the wages of what I've done, it's also not some sort of random success because I happen to be at the right place at the right time. This is indeed a gift. This grace is granted to God's people, a gift from God by his own sovereign purpose. But notice he doesn't just say this is a faith or any kind of a faith, but those of you who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Of equal standing with ours. Wait a second. Weren't you the apostles, the ones who saw Christ? Weren't you the ones that lived with him for several years, that learned at his feet, that, that watched the horrific events of, of Calvary and then saw his uh, resurrected body and saw his ascension? Isn't your faith greater than mine? No. Peter says it's the same faith because it's not faith that comes from internal. Now there is a link. It's a granted faith. It's a given faith. But it's a faith that exists in your life and my life as we come to Christ, as we hold to Christ, as we grow in Christ, that is of equal value with the faith that was given to the disciples themselves. And to those who have that faith, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May God's grace and mercy pour into your lives. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? God's grace and mercy poured into our lives and and we don't have to do anything for it? No, wait a second. The second part of verse 2. It's multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that grace and peace flows as we grow in our knowledge of who Christ is. It grows as our our knowledge simply, uh, as our knowledge grows and it builds Because the knowledge that Peter is talking about is more than just a simple list of facts to recite. Have you ever taken a test and learned all that you needed to take on the test and then the next day forgot what it was you learned? I was notorious for that. I could memorize things and come up with answers to questions. But ask me a week later and I really had no concept of what that was, that I had just passed the test. That's not the kind of learning that Peter is talking about here. It's a knowledge. It is facts that we need to know because the Bible is historical, but it's also experiential. There's a a way to gain and, and grant knowledge that is as we experience God. But how is that experience done? It's through the life of prayer and seeing prayers answered. It is through a life of, of being shaped and molded to be more and more like Christ. It's the strengthening of our faith. It's seeing the Lord work within the world in which we live. It is that knowledge of Christ that as we trust in Him, He is found faithful day in and day out. That blessing of faith is, is experienced even more so in the midst of trials and troubles and struggles. And as Peter says at the end of this passage, he knows what's coming next for him. Jesus told him that he would be crucified. His time in this body was coming to a close. And you don't see Peter wringing his hands going, oh, what am I going to do? He's saying, grow in your faith, even as I've been granted the opportunity to grow in my faith, because what's coming is going to be great. It's even better. That knowledge that is head knowledge, 
that knowledge that is experienced knowledge comes together as we grow in our faith and the what you can perceive and what you can learn is of equal value and equal importance to what the Apostle Peter had because it's not coming from inside. It's not coming from within us. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. When you meet an elder gentleman in this instance with rough hands and deep eyes and a worn face, what do you think of? The thing that comes to my mind oftentimes is wisdom and experience. Knowing the right things from practical standpoints. That's the kind of knowledge that Peter is commending to us. It is, know what the scripture speaks of as true. Apply yourself to learning those truths. But also understand that as we grow in faith, as we grow in experience, God will be found faithful each time. I would ask you this morning, and maybe you haven't thought of this, but have you undervalued your own salvation? Have you thought, well, that person in the church... They've lived longer. They know more. They're stronger than I am. Or what about the disciples who became the apostles, the great men and women of faith? My, my faith isn't what theirs is. Peter would come to you and contend with you and say, your faith is just as strong because your faith isn't something internal. Your faith has been granted by God. Now, remember that. Recall that message of redemption. And then allow the Holy Spirit to work his message of refinement. Verse 3, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus has that divine power. Peter is proclaiming without doubt that it is Jesus himself who is God. Now that divine power provides for all things, all that we need. But I will tell you, as far as life and godliness, if you're like me, sometimes I think, you know, I want more. I like stuff. I'd like an easy life. But that's not what Scripture calls us to to pursue. That's not the promise that God gives us. Now, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But the problem with stuff is all too often it begins to have us. When I'm pursuing things and not pursuing the Lord, then I take my eyes off the Lord and that voice in my head begins to sound more and more like me. Christ is the giver of all good things. And as we grow in our understanding of Him, in our walk with Him, He will continue to shape and to mold us to be more and more like Him. What we need is is provided through that knowledge of Him who called us. What we need is to to learn and to grow in Him because He's granted us that promise. Now, in verse 4, Peter talks about being partakers of the immortal, of the divine nature. That doesn't mean like pantheistic societies are that we will become gods. There are some religions that would teach that. But that's not what Peter is talking about. As we are more and more like Christ, as we take on Christ-likeness, as we grow and are shaped and molded like Christ, the nature that is God begins to be reflected in our lives. People see us as followers of Christ. The very character of Christ begins to show forth in us. And you know what, brothers and sisters in Christ? I believe that that is training and teaching for us in how life will be in eternity with God. 
we get that foretaste of the future today as we grow in Christ, as we live and are shaped to be more and more like Christ. And all too often, maybe it's not in your life as it is in mine, but the Lord seems to need to use a chisel and a hammer to shape and mold me like him. But he loves you enough. He loves me enough that he'll take those opportunities. He will provide those opportunities in my life so that I become more Christ-like as a follower of Christ. That's the the nature of Christ that I get to, to receive. And that is the heart of the gospel. You see, that is the new birth that Peter talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 when he says, you have been transformed, you have been born again, you are new in Christ. And the divine nature that we taste today is a foretaste of what it will become. Christians already participate in the divine nature because we have escaped ultimate corruption of the world. We have been shaped and molded. We have been changed. Now, that doesn't mean that all too often we might not wander away and follow the nature of the world to pursue what it says is good. And that's where we come back on Sundays or in between Sundays and we confess our sins because we recognize that we don't always follow Christ perfectly. But thank the Lord he doesn't kick us out because we're not perfect. He allows his word to shape and mold us. And then since this is true, since that is correct in verse 5, Peter tells us to make every effort to supplement that faith, which is the foundation part, with the six other qualities, or five other qualities. But notice what number two is. After virtue, moral goodness, it's knowledge. Oh, wait a second. I thought I was done with school. Thought it was over with Sunday school. When does the knowledge stop? When does the learning stop? Praise God, it never does. It never does. Moses walked with God his entire life. He saw God face to face, and yet God still surprised him. Oh, but Moses, you haven't seen this. Peter, later in this book, will talk about the transfiguration when he and James and John were standing on the mount and watched Jesus change. Look at all the interactions when the deity of Christ comes out. And what do the the apostles and disciples uh, marvel at? This man is like nobody else we've ever seen. He's different. God is different than what you and I can comprehend. He is grander. He is greater. He's more loving. He's more just. But he calls us, as we have been given faith, to participate with the Holy Spirit in allowing the character of God to indwell us. What is that character? Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's not the only virtuous list in the scriptures, but it's a good one. How well are you doing? How well am I doing? The last two are kind of interesting. Brotherly kindness. Isn't that a city in Pennsylvania? It comes from the same word. Those who we live together with inside the church, we are to have phileo with them. Philadelphia, brotherly love. I can handle that. Because within the church, I like those people. Because they're kind of like me. That's all right. 
we can get along. We can close the doors and we can have a, a nice fellowship meal. But he doesn't end there, does he? Have brotherly love among yourselves. Get along. And then go and love non or not yet believers. Open the doors. Walk out among them. And interact with them in Christ-likeness. That's a tough challenge, isn't it? That's a difficult thing, isn't it? But you see, the faith that it takes to do that is the faith that God has granted you already in the same measure that God has granted Peter, the vocal spokesperson of the disciples, the one who died upside down on a cross because he wanted to honor his Savior and Lord. How are those characteristics working for you? Martin Luther said, um, when he was talking about these characteristics, he said, people are not all alike. One is strong and another is weak by nature. No one is always as fit in every respect as the other person. Where I might be weak in one area, a brother and sister in Christ within the church might be strong. That's why we're a body. That's why we're connected. So that where you're weak, I'm strong. Where I'm weak, you're strong. We can come alongside. We can work together. We can accomplish each other together, honoring the Lord our Savior. But it comes back to faith, and it keeps rallying back around to knowledge. Why do I stress that? Why do I keep going back there? This book teaches us all we need to know about godliness. This book teaches us about the, the life of Christ, but there's also the knowledge that we need to be faithful, we need to be prayerful, we need to be godly, we need to be hearing and expecting God's transformation for us. And most importantly, we are, as Christ commands us at the end of Matthew, to be making disciples. That is, as other people come in from, from non-believers to becoming believers, that we're teaching and we're training them to be followers of Christ. But that also means as young ones by our sides are growing up, we're teaching them to be followers of Christ as well. And you know, that might mean allowing them to ask some very difficult questions. Does God exist? Is the Bible trustworthy? What does it mean to have faith? Oh, but wait, pastor, in a church, are you allowed to ask those kind of questions? I have been fortunate to be in settings where I was allowed to ask those. I was allowed to pursue those questions. And as I did, and as my eldest son did, we came back realizing with a stronger conviction that what Christ speaks of, what the gospel teaches, what the word of God proclaims is trustworthy. There are answers to every question that a college professor might throw at you. Now, we might not have to learn how to answer them. We might need to learn the logic of, of the fallacy of their argument. We might need to learn to be dexterous in our minds. But there are answers to those questions. There are firm and solid answers. And Peter is saying, don't let people sneak in to, to sow the seeds of doubt without combating them and allowing those faithful disciples, those sons and daughters, to learn from you. And you know, I also found out, as I was, my wife and I were training our children, that strengthened our faith too. 
When I had to go and, and dig and find out what does it mean that the Bible's trustworthy? How come the Gospels seem to say one thing in one area and another thing in another area? How do I make sense of that? That challenged me. It made me grow. It helped me to understand the validity of what Scripture teaches. That's a valuable thing to do in these four protected walls. That's a valuable thing for a church to do. So that as we make disciples, as we send them out into the world, they grow and are beacons of light in a dark world. They grow and they know who Christ is. So Peter then returns back to what he said in verse 5, back down in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Remember he said in verse 5, make every effort to supplement. Now he goes in verse 10, now be diligent about it. Stand fast on it. Make your calling and election sure. Make it true that what God has done for you. Make that growth and that faith in Christ evident in your life. What is that? We in Christian circles know that as sanctification. That's the process that God is using to change us to be more and more Christ-like. That is part of the life of every believer. That as I grow in my faith, as I make those things true, as I reflect Christ, I am being changed and transformed. I've been given solid evidence for the validity of Scripture. And as I am participating in faith, in verse 11, as I participate in this faith and this knowledge, as I'm taking on godly characteristics, I am shaped for a heavenly welcome. Did you see that in verse 11? For in this way you will be richly provided for an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those characters, that knowledge, that study is preparing you to enter into fellowship face-to-face with God. As we cultivate godly qualities, as we cultivate godly character, God will abundantly add his blessing to us. Abundantly add his blessing to us, which doesn't mean a new Porsche in in the parking lot. It doesn't mean a huge house. But it means God will be present with us. His faithfulness, His goodness, He will be with us in good times and bad times. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need. That's what we need. Elena was the wife of the Soviet dissident Andrei Sakharov. She says that he wrote his memoirs Um, She would type them and edit them and and begin to nurse his work. But in doing so, every now and again, he would come to her and say, it's gone, they've taken them. So he'd start over again. He'd write them again. And she would type them and edit them again. And ultimately, they met at a train station trying to go from one city to the other. And he was frantic. He said, they've stolen my writing. But he wrote and wrote, and each time he went back to the table to write more, he said, there's more there. I'm learning more. I'm seeing more. How often do we as, our, as Christians think that as long as I can overcome this obstacle, maybe that's all I need to know. And yet the obstacles and the difficulties seem to keep coming, and the trials and struggles continue to happen. But it's not because God has turned his back on us. It's because God continues to be faithful. What does God do in your your life to refine you into his image? 
It may be trials, it's struggles, it may be temptations, or it might be opportunities to love and care for others, whether they are believers or non-believers. What is Christ doing to shape and mold you to reflect those characteristics? You see, that is the message of refinement. But Peter doesn't end in our passage there. Go to verse 12 with me, if you would. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He says, remember the message of reinforcement. Peter has emphasized the need to grow in godly character. He's stressed the balance between knowledge and experience, but he wants to make sure that his readers don't forget the message even when he's gone. You know I'm going to die, in essence, is, is what he's saying. You know my time here is limited. Don't forget what I've told you. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you're not going to forget what I've told you. Don't forget this. You ever had something that happened in your life and then every time you smell that smell or see that color or watch that painting, you get that same sense, that same feeling? That's what Peter wanted to leave in the lives of his readers. And sometimes, as we are the ones passing that along, it may not seem to us as if we're doing much for others. But God might be using you to shape and mold someone else to be a follower of Christ. Eric Lydell was a a runner from Scotland who was in the 1924 Olympics. He won his event, but he took a stand as a Christian and refused to run his race that he was uh, professed to uh, to win because it was being held on Sunday. So he ran the 400 meter and and won that wildly. But he tells the story to his sister of of how he sees God's shaping and molding him. And this event was captured in the movie Chariots of Fire several years ago. He tells his sister, I run and God has made me to run fast and I feel his glory. I feel his honor when I'm running. We are called to be God's people, to be shaped and molded. And as we are lifted up that way, as we are strengthened in godly character, we will feel and sense God's honor and glory in our midst. Can you love one another? Can you love those out there? They need that gospel. They need to hear that forgiveness. And God has placed you here in Owensboro to be his witness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we have already confessed our failure and our sin, and yet you graciously provide us the opportunity to be your witnesses. I pray that even as Peter has challenged us this morning, that we might be faithful, that we might grow in your grace and wisdom, and that the characteristics that he describes, which are your characteristics, would be ways that people would see us and know us in this world and even in the world to come. Lord, this I pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.